all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, host of the original Southern Remedy, the show where I answer your medical questions. Subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app. MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Happy Friday, everybody. I think we are all excited to have a little bit warmer weather than we've been experiencing earlier this week. Um, I literally was just talking to my producer, Abram, and we were just kind of going over what this week has looked like for everyone. And I think a good portion of northern Mississippi is still experiencing a good bit of ice. So those areas, please make sure you're being extra careful um, when you are out there um, driving. So I know Monday the kids were lucky they were out um, for MLK Day and then my kids got a couple of extra days off because of the ice but I was just telling Abram unfortunately I was still working in the hospital this is my time I do a lot of clinic work for the most part but I do do some time in the hospital and I laugh with my colleagues because I'm only on a few weeks a year in the hospital. And three years ago, when we had the big snowstorm and ice, I happened to be working in the hospital. And then now that we had another kind of ice storm, I was back in the hospital. So thanks to my husband, who's my chauffeur um, on Tuesday, and helped me get to the hospital safely because I promise you guys don't want me driving on ice. <laughs> um, so to all those people that are possibly out there still in the ice, please be extra, extra careful. And for those who have, are getting to enjoy a little bit of clear weather. Enjoy it now because I think it gets a little bit colder again this weekend, but no ice that I'm aware of um, so far. So as I mentioned before, happy Friday. Um, kind of today, I wanted to talk a little bit about our feet. It's one of the things that I feel, um, there's a couple of things that I think get very neglected when I'm working with my patients, and that's our teeth. I'm not a dentist. I'm not saying that I can handle any teeth questions, but um is our feet like we usually don't pay much attention to them until they're really giving us some problems or we notice something abnormal there and it's like huh maybe I should get that looked at so I'm just going to jump right in so one thing that I see a good bit in my clinic that causes a lot of frustration um, among my patients is toenail fungus so um, onchiomycosis is our fancy kind of medical term for it but everybody knows it essentially as a toenail fungus so that is usually a fungal infection of the ma- nail. And you know that you have it. People that have it usually know that they have it. They oftentimes, their nail becomes a little disfigured. Um, they can oftentimes have some pain um, and things of that nature. and Or the nail becomes more brittle um, or thick and just looks like 
just kind of this nice, good looking, clean nail to kind of yellow and brittle. And, and um, so, you know, something's just not right. Um, so I oftentimes get a lot of phone calls about uh, phone calls or just visits in general about toenail fungus. And most people um, kind of try to take care of this on their own at home. But the frustration about a lot of the over the counter topical remedies um, is that they take so long to fix. So when we are treating toenail fungus, it is, it is, we have to be committed because the regrowth of that toenail to get good, healthy, um, tissue takes some time. Um, so, the nine times out of 10, toenail fungus is not harmful to you. It's more of a cosmetic thing that irritates us than anything. But there are a few groups of people, you know, my diabetics that are possibly at increased risk of this progressing to um, a more serious infection or those of my patients who are immunosuppressed or immunocompromised, um, or if it seems to be causing you just a lot of discomfort in general. Um, that's usually the reason that I have patients um, do treatment. And so looks like we have got our first caller um warren how are you doing this morning oh pretty good i'm driving right now nice clear weather oh good oh good (laughs) and i did not like monday and tuesday (laughs) i I am right there with you because i mean even though i said my husband was my chauffeur and we had four-wheel drive there was a couple of times i got a little nervous on the road i won't lie (laughs) yeah well i saw some vehicles they look like they were bowling balls. Oh, know, yeah. It's scary. all over the place. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, tell me a little bit about your question this morning. Okay, toenail fungus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use this medicine called Juglia. Okay. I wanted to get your, uh, I guess, opinion about that. It wanted to know if there's anything stronger that you could put topical on toenail fungus. I was thinking about getting a couple of them, like, removed and then using the Jubilee on top of that. Okay. Because it's so big, I don't think the Jubilee is getting down there, you know? Right. And so, yes, yeah, so so Jubilee um, is what in our uh topical things that we call azoles. So it is an antifungal topical treatment, and I think you've gotten that from your doctor most likely. So there's different strengths to it, but the um, Jubilee is the 10% solution, so that's usually our stronger strength in toenail fungus. And so you're right. So how? I guess the biggest question is how long have you been using the Jubilee? Uh, about six months. Yeah. It seems to be, it seems to be working, but I don't know, does it take sometimes like a year or so before you see good results there? Warren, you are exactly right. So when we're talking about um, topical treatment, so using a liquid like um, the antifungal you're using, they tell us up to 48 weeks. So essentially you're looking at right at about 11 months or so before you can see resolution. So if you're at six months and you're seeing improvement, then my goal, then my recommendation for you would be to keep moving forward. But if you feel like it's not doing anything and we're at the six month and you've noticed no difference, um, then it's a good conversation to have with your doctor if, if you want to look into something um, um, oral. So you can take an oral medication for toenail fungus. Yeah, but I'm 72 and I hear that stuff is really bad on your kidneys. Well, what about getting them, getting them removed and then putting the Jubilee on there? 
so a lot of so a lot of times if you usually if you get them removed you've removed the the infection um and so if you that is an option and we try to make that kind of last case for most patients to get the toenail but surgery is an option to actually have the toenail removed when managing toenail fungus but a lot of times if you haven't had an infection like a like a bacterial infection in that toenail or it's not causing you a lot of pain or anything like that i wouldn't necessarily recommend going to surgery for removal of the toenail um but you're right there are so many side effects to the oral medication um that many people um may not necessarily prefer that my other question is did you do you know if y'all did any studies on your toenail did they send off any cultures or stains or or yeah yeah, they did okay that's the medicine the doctor prescribed okay Perfect. And because sometimes we may not always do that and just say, hey, it looks like toenail fungus and here is your treatment. So it sounds like your doctor sent everything off. We confirmed, you know, what type of um, fungal infection you do, in fact, have. And so it most likely showed that the um, medicine your own covers that. So I would just say before trying to get that toenail moved, you know, give it the good 48 weeks or so, because, you know, with any kind of procedure, removing that toenail, you're at risk of other types of infections and things like that. so it's a good conversation to have with your with your doctor as an option, but you're right, surgery and toenail removal is an option. Okay. Well thank you. Have a good day, ma'am. You're welcome. You stay safe and try to stay warm. Okay. All right, you have a good one. Okay. Thank you, Warren. So Warren, you know, brought up some wonderful questions. So that's the big thing. So toenail fungus it, um, is it's a very challenging one um, to treat in general. And so, as I mentioned before, when you're looking at topical things for management of um, of toenail fungus, it usually you're in for the long haul. Um, and many times, people the over the counter things for patients that might just have a mild infection um, or something of that nature, you know, those topical things may work with time. But when you start talking about, um, you know, ones that aren't doing well with over the counter, we do prescription. But a lot of times it's not great data that that completely clears it up. Um, So as we mentioned before, you can do some topical solutions. Sometimes your doctor does, in fact, send, you know, some scrapings from the toenail off for culture and off for stains to make sure that we got the diagnosis right, that we are, in fact, dealing with a toenail fungus. And then after that, they can offer some different types of kind of topical treatment. Um, for it. As we were talking about before, you know, if you don't have good success with topical, you can move to the oral antifungals. Um, the most common one being what Lamisil or Terbinafin is um, the um, generic name for it. This is something that you have to get from your doctor if you're talking about oral treatment uh, for fungal infections. And a lot of the issues with that is just the side effect profile that you can see sometimes with taking the oral medication. But it's the one that I have the most success with, with clearing up with my patients is if we take the oral. And treatment is usually shorter but longer than most of my patients want to commit to. So typically, if you're looking at oral treatment for your toenail fungus, you're in it for the long haul too. And it typically takes a good 12 weeks or three months of taking a pill every single day to clear up the toenail fungus. And usually in a lot of my patients, I will tell them to continue the topical while we're doing the oral because it's really not any systemic or I mean like getting in 
into the bloodstream kind of situation if you're using the topical. So there's really not harm in doing both of them. Um, but most of my success is usually dealing um, with using an oral kind of treatment. As I mentioned before, if you're going down the oral treatment route, your doctor will want to see you because we like to get labs. We want to make sure that your liver numbers look okay because that's one of the rare side effects, but known side effects of taking terbinafine by mouth is that it can um, cause some liver enzyme abnormalities. Um, and so that's something that we're looking at. And then, of course, your other kind of common things is some stomach upset. And some people tell me that it can essentially give you a fairly weird taste in your mouth as well when you're treating toenail fungus. So pretty frustrating thing to treat. And I get a lot of patients that get it. Things that you can do. The other question becomes, you know, what else can I do? Make sure that, you know, your feet are dry and clean and we're wearing, you know, clean, dry socks. Cotton is always the best way to do it. For my ladies out there that, you know, love to go get a pedicure, I'm a woman that loves to to be pampered and get my kind of pedicures making, you know, when you're kind of in the process of that, that's when I tell patients, maybe we need to take a break. So making sure when you go there using clean um, materials and things like that um, when you're going to get those things done. So, and we kind of just started our discussion earlier about some common foot problems. Um, um, and so what brought me to this is uh, I was essentially usually kind of talking to uh, some of my friends and, you know, just love getting pedicures. And I get a lot of just good questions about, ooh, is it safe for me to get a pedicure? Those types of things. And and just a lot of people will kind of come up to me and, uh, at, and my patients in the clinic just with common concerns about foot pains and foot aches and things of that nature. And as I mentioned before, we usually don't worry too much about our feet until they cause us a problem. So I thought it would just be a good opportunity today to just kind of go over some common foot concerns and and if you need to be seeking treatment that you're seeing your doctor for them. So, and we started our topic off of one of the most common things that I see in my clinic and people have a lot of questions about is toenail fungus. Um, and so I talked a lot about the toenail, but the other thing that a lot of people in, end up having a lot of issues with is um, toenail, uh, not just toenail, but foot fungus or athlete's feet or um, tenniapetis is the thing that we essentially talk about as well um, that can kind of cause you some problems. So going along with that, so tenniapetis, where you actually have have a fungal infection of the skin itself um, can oftentimes you have flakiness, itching between the toes, oftentimes can be some redness and scaling. Um, fungal infections really like to get down and in between the toes. So that's a common place for you to see um, that fungal infection when you're talking about your feet. And oftentimes we recommend not oral in those cases unless it's pretty severe, um, but we use usually do recommend, again, topical antifungals. And the most common problem that a lot of patients might ha have with treating that is we don't treat for long enough. So oftentimes when you're talking about topical antifungals for toenail, not toenail, to your skin fungus of your feet, um, you're looking at about four weeks applying that antifungal twice a day. So most people stop it after a week and was like, it didn't go away. I'm like, did it get better? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, let's keep going. Um, and so that's usually the thing that I recommend. But looks like we have got us another caller. I've got Sean um, in Moorhead. Good Good morning, Sean. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. So tell me a little Great. bit about your question this morning. My question is in reference to the heel pain mm -hmm. in the foot. Yes, ma'am. Okay. 
Uh, what are some of the common causes that you have run into as far as patients uh, with the issues of the heel? Yeah, so tell me a little bit about where the heel pain is, like the heel, like the very back of the heel kind of going up to the ankle or more towards the heel going towards the middle of your foot, um, kind of the location, kind of towards the middle. middle. Okay, and then um, when you have that heel pain, when is it worse? When you're standing on it. Okay, gotcha. So interestingly enough, heel pain, there's a wide variety of things that can cause it. So um, probably one of the more common causes of heel pain where you're describing your pain is sometimes people can have what we call plantar fasciitis. And that is where you have these tendons kind of on the bottom of your foot. Um, And so they can kind of get irritated um, over time. So fasciitis, inflammation, and they can cause pain when people are standing. So oftentimes when you get out of bed first thing in the morning, you step that foot down and it's like, oh, goodness, what did I do? Um, so that's usually sometimes a cause of heel pain it can be plantar fasciitis. Um, the other thing I can see is that it's interesting to say this, but it really is something called heel pad syndrome or heel pain syndrome. And the, the answer is just heel pain. So for patients that have had prolonged standing, if you've got a job that you stand a lot, almost like an overuse injury. I would say. So you're standing on your feet a lot. Your feet don't like that. Um, And so you can just get heel pain from that in general. So those are usually kind of two common things I see. Um, Other things you can see is if you've got a heel spur or a type of bone spur or abnormal bony growth on your heel, that can give you a good bit of heel pain. So those are the things, probably the most common ones that I see within my clinic. You might talk to a foot doctor and they sound something different because by the time you're seeing the foot doctor, you're probably having some real problems. Then, but those are things that I usually see. So, with the heel injections, because I have had those before, and oh my god, yeah, oh my god, they hurt. They do, they do. So, have you seen a podiatrist for it, or or who do you have, or or you have a podiatrist? Yes, ma'am. So, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to tell you, I went to Mississippi Sports Medicine. Mm Hmm. And that's when um, the x-rays and everything was done by one of the podiatrist specialists there. Mm -hmm. And that's where it was determined what they were. So my question is, with the injections, um, how long does it take, you know, for them to heal over time versus getting the repeated injections? So the real question becomes, what are we treating? So, um, you know, did they give you what they did? Did it sound plantar fasciitis? Does that sound familiar or they told you something different? Yes, ma'am. That was That's it. exactly what it was. Yes, ma'am. And so a lot of times you can see an improvement with um, the plantar fasciitis within a few days of getting those injections. Um, the frequency you would really have to talk to the orthopedic, I usually see like three months or so um, in between the injections. You know, the more you do steroid injections, you know, the more potential of side effects and things of that nature. Um, so uh, usually it's a few months or so in between. But usually if you're going to get relief, you really see it in a few days to a few weeks. But on top of that with plantar fasciitis, the recommendation is for you to be doing those stretches. Did they teach you a lot of those stretches and things? Yes, ma'am. I actually, I purchased this board that you stand on. You Mm -hmm. can um, elevate it to different levels, you know, depending on 
how much you can stand of it. Yes, ma'am. And I do my stretches in the morning. Wonderful. And then in the in the evening when I'm getting home off work. Yes, ma'am. Then then you you are on top of it. I can honestly say that. And then I'm sure they told you kind of all the other things, making sure you're wearing the right kind of shoe with the right kind of cushion, yes, all that. So yes. you have you are the one of what we call the refractory cases. And and you're right. <laughs> you're like how if I need to know before I do this injection again, like you know. Because you're right, it can be quite painful and uncomfortable, mainly because of that location. But but no, you're you are right there um, as far as the injections go. And and you know, eventually, some people that are refractory even to the injections, um, surgery is the absolute last kind of thing that they right. want to do on someone. But that is an option for my for my other listeners that are listening. That surgery is an option, and they can essentially do like a, a release of some of that um, tendon in there or. Or, or tissue in there and help improve your symptoms. So um, how long has it been since you had your injection? It's been now maybe four months. Okay, gotcha. Did you get some relief? I did. Good. I did, but what actually helped me even more, because I'm a shoe person yeah. such as my Asics. Asics was my thing. But when I tried my the Hoka uh-huh. shoe, that's been my saving grace. Right Wonderful. There. Well, good. Well, I would just say make sure you go in and schedule a follow up. But it sounds like you're moving in the right direction. And that injection did did some good. And and I tell everybody it's finding what works for you. You know, I'm an Asics girl and I actually tried Hoka's. I've done, you know, my Brooks. I probably have tried every like shoe um, that you can think of. And I land it back to my Asics. But I have a lot of people that are huge fans of the Hoka's. Um, so, um right. So, um, I well, thank you for your question this morning, Sean. Um, and I hope you continue to get some relief. Thank you so much, Doc. Yes, ma'am. You have a great morning. You too. Bye-bye. All right. So for those that might just be listening in, we have been covering foot concerns this morning. And so uh, Sean actually brought up a wonderful topic. And one of the things that I see a lot in my clinic, which is plantar fasciitis. And in some people, it can cause heel pain, um, like what Sean was describing. And other people can have a lot of pain just kind of across the bottom of their foot where that arch is. Um, And how do you know you're dealing with plantar fasciitis? It's that heel pain. The common presentation is if you've sat for a long time or when you wake up first thing in the morning, you put your foot down and that pain just kind of shoots through your foot. Um, or And same thing when you get up after a long time or just prolonged standing. So you can see those symptoms consistent with plantar fasciitis. And usually um, the treatment, just to highlight a lot of what me and Sean kind of covered as we were talking, we try conservative treatment. So we, if we think that's what's going on, you do not have to get steroid injections in, in your foot. First of all, we do try more conservative things first. So a lot of those stretches, like I, um, uh, Sean and I were discussing, you can Google plantar fasciitis stretches and see some good pictures. I, I would not be the best person trying to describe this over the phone and no one can see my foot. So um, <laughs> that wouldn't be very helpful. But anyway, um, so doing the stretches, uh, uh, the 
kind of, I guess you could say research is a little mixed. There are things you can try online. There are nighttime splints that you can put on. So pretty much they keep that kind of um, plantar fascia stretched out, which kind of decreases your pain and everything when you wake up. We recommend trying NSAIDs like ibuprofen or Aleve or Motrin or things of that nature if you have no other contraindications if you're safe to take those. But again, the, the studies on those are mixed, saying that maybe there's not a lot of good data for those, but the consistent data says doing the stretches are recommended. And if we do all those things for a while and we're not getting improvement, then you start looking into seeing a doctor about potential injections or things of that nature. And then absolute last resort is if you do, in fact, have to get the surgery. So from MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. And we have been discussing a lot of common foot concerns um, with our callers today. So we've covered things from Um, toenail fungus to uh, just fungal infections of the feet to plantar fasciitis with some heel pain. And looks like we've got our next caller, Julia in Moss Point. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about your question this morning. Well, I guess I guess I should speak to a foot doctor. But anyway, I want your opinion. Um, Okay. I've I've, I've, uh, I, I have been on chemo, but now I'm just taking the pills. But I have started having foot problems since I think I've again it's unusual for a chemo patient to have a lot of foot problems. It is problems. So, uh, so it is not unusual. So, a couple of things depending on your chemotherapy regimen, um, some chemotherapy drugs side effects can give you neuropathy. Um, so yeah. that that burning, that numbness, that tingling, or feeling as if your feet have gone to sleep or not there um, kind of sensation can be a side effect of some of your chemo drugs. Um, so that's something to talk about with your cancer doctor. So it's not uncommon that I see that in some of my patients undergoing chemo. Um, sometimes some medications can just call, you know, kind of tired, achy feet feeling. You can get that. Um, and then two, you know, if you're on chemo, you are what we considered immunocompromised or immunosuppressed. So at increased risk of things like the um fungal toenail infections like I talked about before or other kind of infections in general. And so your feet aren't excluded from that. Um, So it's just making sure we keep a close eye on them um, while you're going through your treatments. Well, my toenails, um, especially just my big toenails, they are thick and uh, sometimes have a pain like through the the certain point of Mm -hmm. the toenail. So I have my having that and a lot of calluses and mm-hmm. it just you know, tend to sometimes I feel like a, like a pain right into just a, a sharp pain pain in the bottom of my uh, foot right on on the left side uh, the uh, I guess from down from the baby toe to the little I don't know what you would call it <laughs> little fat part of your foot yes it's, ma'am uh, like it used to be a calluses there on that part be a hard part so it used to be like a big big hard pain and a lot of times. Uh, uh, shoes I just can't t- it just it hurt if a shoe edge touches it yeah 
Yes, ma'am. So, Julia, you're right. And so I definitely think talking to your cancer doctor about that and, you know, potentially getting a podiatrist for that. But kind of those things I listed, you know, you could be having some neuropathic pain. Um, and then when you're having neuropathy, it, it alters your sensation. And so really making sure you've got good shoes, eliminating any pressure points, because that's where your calluses are coming from. If you've got pressure points, if your shoe is rubbing wrong um, or not fitting well. So it's so I definitely definitely do recommend looking into getting a podiatrist, but also kind of reevaluate what kind of shoes you're wearing, making sure they're wide enough. There's not any areas that are rubbing to cause blisters or calluses or ulcers or anything of that nature. What's the name of the shoe you was talking about? ASICs? Oh, ASICs. Yes, ma'am. ASICs. Um, Hoka's are good ones. I, and I don't even know if I'm saying Hoka right. I think I am. Um, I, I feel like I talk to different people at the shoe store and I've gotten a variety of different um, different answers. But, you know, starting with the podiatrist is really a good way um, to kind of look into that. But definitely make sure you're talking to your cancer doctor so you guys are on the same page and seeing if it's side effects of your medications, too, that you're on. Oh, okay. All right. Well. Thank you. Oh, and what about the uh, uh, petty, petty? It's just don't, it's not good. I know it's all straight from your feet and all that. I would probably say for you, you know, if you're wanting good kind of foot care, especially in your immunocompromised state and having mm-hmm. some concerns mm-hmm. with your feet. Um, and again, like I mentioned, those potential side effects of your chemo th- drugs, I probably would be cautious with getting pedicures, um, you know, and kind of letting your toenail care and things of that nature go to the podiatrist. But if you, you know, we all want to be pampered sometimes and feel mm-hmm. good, you know, so I would talk to your, you know, chemotherapy, uh, your, you know, oncologist and make sure they're on the same page. But you can always bring your own supplies. That way, you know that they're clean and haven't been used by other people um, and things of that nature. And just making sure that where you go or using that, like you saw them clean or they're, you know, sanitizing before you do it kind of situation, kind of taking all of those precautions um, before you go. All right. Well, thank you for your, for your help. You're welcome. You have a great <laughs> Friday, Miss Julia. All right. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you. Okay. Good works up. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> All right. Well, well, to my other listeners out there, you know, Julia brings up some good points and that, you know, becomes a question that I get from a lot of my patients. And so, you know, can is it safe for me to get a pedicure? I'm a diabetic. You know, you know, what what is the answer on that? So a lot of my patients, you know, if you've got other neurological conditions are pretty significant neuropathy, um, you know, that numbness of your feet, you know, decreased sensation or something that's 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 dealing with the sensation in your feet. You know, I I always hate to tell patients no. It's one of those things that I say caution. My diabetics, I really worry about, you know, if your sensation is decreased, you don't know if someone's filing down too low or if you've been nicked or had cuts, you know, so you really kind of increase your risk of infection. Particularly, you know, you're going to places where lots of other people have been as well. Um, so if you're looking for good kind of foot care and you're at an increased risk of being immunocompromised or a suppressed immune system, um, you know, I do recommend just having a podiatrist and they can help you with your calluses and they can help you with clipping your toenails and things like that, especially, you know, if you're not able to feel um, those differences. Because even putting your feet in hot water, you know, you may have some issues with telling that 
that temperature and you can end up with um, problems there as well. So so just be cautious and make sure it's something you're talking with with your doctor before you essentially proceed. And Julia kind of gave me a really good segue to neuropathy. So that is a very, very common foot problem that I see in my clinic in general. And people go straight to diabetics and I'll talk about that. But neuropathy is exactly what I said when I was explaining it to Julia. It's that feeling. So there's some type of nerve damage usually feet is a common uh, kind of area for it to happen and the sensation is different for everybody so some people may feel a burning some people may feel a tingling some people say they feel like pen pins or needles or pricks um, in the bottom of their feet I have other people that tell me my foot just feels asleep something doesn't feel right you know it just has a different Um, description for people. Now that neuropathy can happen in one foot that can oftentimes lead me to a different diagnosis or it can happen in both feet. So usually when we're talking about our patients that are dealing with diabetic um, neuropathy, uh, not neuropathy, neuropathy, gosh, I'm tongue twisted today. But if you're dealing with diabetic neuropathy, oftentimes the signal that that's what you're dealing with, it is in both feet bilaterally. It's usually not just one. Um, You have a diagnosis of diabetes and it's oftentimes in my patients particularly that have poorly controlled diabetes so you have not had your glucose has not been at goal in a long time or years with poorly controlled diabetes those are my patients that are at increased risk um, of having neuropathy of their feet. Now, you can definitely have more than one thing going on. So a lot of times if my patients just have foot neuropathy, let's say I'm dealing with one foot, um, I start to think about is something else going on with the nerves? Do Are you a person that has chronic back pain and you more so have what I call a radiculopathy? So the problem in your foot is actually not your foot. It's the nerves coming from somewhere else. So that points me in another direction or problems with their hip or, or some other type of injury. So sometimes when it's one foot, my diagnosis is a little bit different. So I'll dive a little bit into the bilateral kind of foot neuropathy that we deal with. So not just diabetes, vitamin deficiencies can also give you a a bilateral um, neuropathy. So people that have a B12, a vitamin B12 deficiency, so your B vitamins are just not fatigue. It's just actually can cause some neuropathy. And if caught early enough, that is reversible just with vitamin replacement. How do I know that's what I have? You go to the doctor, history, physical lab of a low vitamin B12 level can point us towards that as well. And then, of course, diagnosis in diabetic neuropathy is testing your A1C. Do you have diabetes? Have your blood sugars been running high is essentially kind of where that comes from. The problem, per, and, and as we were mentioning with Julia, don't forget that some medications can do that. So some chemotherapy drugs are known to cause foot cause neuropathy in general. And a lot of times you end up feeling that in your feet. The unfortunate part about diabetic um, neuropathy and sometimes the ones with chemotherapy drugs is it's oftentimes not something that's necessary reversible. Um, And so our treatment is treating the underlying cause. So getting your diabetes under control 
um, that for a lot of our chemo patients, it is going to ultimately be um, treating the symptoms in general. So a lot of times with my diabetic neuropathy patients, if you're not, if it's just annoying, but not necessarily interfering with life or function, treatment is not required by any means. So you are, do not require a medication for neuropathy. Oftentimes it's not going to reverse the problem. Um, but if you're having symptoms, we do have uh, various type of medications that we can use to um, to, to treat that neuropathy. It looks like we've got another caller on the line. We've got Hope in Laurel, Mississippi. Good morning, Hope. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Great. Here's my question. Yes, ma'am. I want to understand a little bit about hammer toes and how do you know if you have one and if you do, how do you correct it? Okay, perfect. So a lot of times, so hammer toe is essentially when your toe is bent in like almost like a claw-like position. And so it can affect any toe of your foot, but it typically is the second toe. And so what happens is it kind of like slants your toe, like kind of slants your toe underneath the other one and you get like this claw-like um, a, a formation of your foot. So if it's looking like a claw, like it's gripping something and, and a little bit almost, I would say deformed. I mean, that's essentially what it's like um, and can oftentimes cause you some pain, lets you know you have a hammer toe. So I tell people, you know, I usually say, guys, be careful with Google, but you can Google pictures of hammer toes. And if your foot is looking similar to that, you can pretty almost confidently say you're probably dealing with the hammer toe. And a lot of times in patients, um, it causes issues because it causes um, you ultimately some pain. Does that sound like something you're dealing with? Maybe it's starting. How do you actually go and what is there anything to correct it? So you actually can get a surgical correction of it. You know, there are options where you can do stretches and splinting devices and things of that nature. But, you know, that can cause, you know, that can really take some time and isn't always I could honestly say all that successful. So it's something um, that you can essentially go see a foot doctor or foot surgeon about, and they can kind of release that tendon and stretch that toe out um, and correct the problem. Okay, so if you participate in athletics, Mm-hmm. Once it's corrected by a surgeon, can you continue or does it happen again? So it's so you can try to do some things to prevent it. So a lot of times the the recommendations are that make sure you're using the right kind of shoe. You have a roomier shoe. You have an open toe box. You know those types of things. When those toes are all cramped together, and a lot of times I see it too in my patients that have other neurological kind of injuries. So you're you know you may favor that side more than the other, and you're kind of in that constant position like our patients that have like a lot of contractures or things of that nature which doesn't sound like the case for you hope but usually you know it's making sure we're wearing the right kind of shoes so it technically yes can reoccur um, but if you're kind of doing the things to prevent it um, ongoing stretches and things of that nature after the surgery you should be good okay well thank you so much yes ma'am well thank you for your question this morning Bye-bye. All right. So for our callers that are um, just now listening, we have just been covering a lot of foot concerns today. And so I have gotten a lot of great calls. So my goal is going to be in the next few months, I'm going to get me a podiatrist or orthopedic foot doctor to come in and, and they can tell us a lot more in details about post these surgeries. I've had a few patients that have had a hammer toe surgery. Um, and that's essentially what I remember from their recovery um, hope. So hopefully, like I said, getting in with a foot doctor, they can kind of tell you 
a lot more of what they see because they see it a lot more commonly than I do. But hammer toe is is another kind of foot deformity that you can see. Um, bunion is another common one. Again, um, a lot of these things are are sometimes what we've done. And so I am a woman that loves me some heels. If you met me about 10 years ago, to see me in a flat shoe was a weird day. Everyone's like, are you okay? I'm the one that's clacking down the hallway when I'm seeing my patients. And I just, I don't know, I'm already really tall, but adding a heel, like I just love some heels. And unfortunately, I've paid for it over time. You know, you get your callus formations, things of that nature. Um, So sometimes, you know, just us getting the right fitting shoe for some people and some of these foot concerns can really solve a lot of problems. So I literally went from owning maybe my running shoes, a couple of pair of like tennis shoes in general, to 50% of my shoes are like cute little flat you know, tennis shoes now or, or a variety of Asics, as I've mentioned to everyone else. Um, and the heels are still there, but I, I only wear them for a very short amount of time um, in general. So um, as we kind of mentioned before, I was talking a little bit about some common foot concerns. I talked a lot about before we went into the break about neuropathy, particularly diabetic neuropathy, and that there are ultimately some treatment options for that. But I will cover that in just one second. Looks like I got another call that came through from Miss Shirley in Grenada. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning. How are you I'm this morning? I'm not well. I'm okay. not as ill as I could be. Tell but me my what's... problem is, I was having a hot flash the other night, and I stood up and turned my ceiling fan on, and I, with the left side, I'm speaking of my left side, and when I turned the fan on, stood up and raised my right, my left hand, Okay. my body just kept jerking and and friction and like with a noise like and I mean I lost some strength in this arm I mean this leg rather it grounded me and it's swollen and you know it's in pain and I'm wondering what you think could have happened to me I will be honest Miss Shirley I'm not sure you know um I am concerned, you know, really, if you're having a lot of pain in that leg and swelling and things are just not getting better that, you know, maybe it wasn't a hot flash. We could be having like we could be getting ill, in other words. So I would want you to go ahead and make sure you get to a doctor to get that leg checked out and make sure we're not more so having signs of infection or something of that nature um, that we've kind of blamed on something else, if that makes sense. I went to the ER and they did x-rays and they said there didn't anything show up, but something okay. has to be, something happened. Something happened. Yes, ma'am. They all they see is arthritis and they, they didn't come all of a sudden. This happened all of a sudden and I'm very active. Okay. And I move all the time. Gotcha. But the swelling happened right after you pulled that ceiling right fan after. or it was before? And No, I never had any pains before. Okay. I mean, yes, nothing. ma'am. It was all of a sudden things. Yes, ma'am. Well, I will say this because I'm married to an ER doctor, so I know a little bit about like the ER triaging in general. So a lot of times if it's something that doesn't necessarily require admission to the hospital or anything like that, it sounds like they don't think that it was infected and that, you know, you probably would need additional treatment. So you you could have still injured that knee. It's just not necessarily a bony injury that um, that you that, you know, necessarily needed surgery or anything immediately. So if 
you are still having swelling and you're still having pain, then you probably need to see an orthopedic or bone doctor to see if you need more detailed imaging um, of that knee to see if there was any kind of ligament injury or things of that nature. And those are things that don't show up on an x-ray, but don't necessarily need to be taken care of in the ER. So it sounds like they ruled out the stuff that was harmful, like infection or things of that nature. But you probably still do need to get your knee because you could have twisted it or injured it in a different way. Um, So you probably need to follow up with an orthopedic clinic and make sure everything looks okay with that knee. But if you start running fevers or worsening pain or that swelling's getting worse, and definitely, of course, get seen sooner. But in the meantime, I think you probably just want to talk to your primary care doctor and, and see if you need to get to the orthopedic. Okay. That makes sense. Yes, ma'am. But like I said, if you start running a fever and that swelling keeps increasing, you know, something else could be going on. So make sure you get to a doctor to get it checked out. Okay. Okay. Thank you, ma'am. All right. Well, I hope you get to feeling better, Miss Shirley. Thank you. You have a good one. All right. So to everyone that's kind of listening in, unfortunately, we're kind of uh, up for time for calls, but just kind of to recap a few things that we talked about, you know, um, if I were to say some kind of highlights of big takeaway points, um, particularly for my patients, make sure we're paying some attention to our feet. Don't wait till they're just in pain. You know, make sure we're looking at them every now and then, particularly to my diabetic patients um, or patients with other neurological problems um, that are increased risk for foot infections and foot injuries and ulcers and things of that nature. I want you to make sure that you're keeping a good eye on your feet, looking at the bottom of your feet, looking in between your toes, make sure there's nothing um, that that's creeped up on us. If you've had pain for a long time or issues in your feet, make sure you're talking to your primary care doctor about it. Um, other, I guess, highlights that I want people to take away is also, you know, if you're dealing with uh, fungal infections of the toenail or the or the skin, giving it time, not giving up on treatment too soon. And if things just aren't moving in the right directions, come see one of us, see your primary care physician, um, and ultimately get that looked at and reviewed. So I enjoyed talking to you guys today, this Friday. Thank you all for your wonderful calls. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health. It's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio, and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generously support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Abram Nanny. I am Dr. Jasmine Kinsey. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy Women's Health on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.